Hello, everybody, and welcome. We are finally back with another episode of the House Divided podcast. Uh, I am here with Jeremy, my Spartan co-host, and we we may have been knocked down by some sickness and laptop updates, but we are back, Jeremy. We are back. Nothing uh, nothing happened with either of our teams, right? Like, uh, it's just been really slow. Uh, that, that's why we were gone, right? Yeah, it's been quiet. No news, really. Definitely haven't had a wild range of emotions over the past three weeks on both of our teams. <laughs> yeah, I think it was protection of us probably giving some hot take that would have already aged itself. So it's probably a good thing we've been going for two weeks. Yeah, I was actually ready at one point. I'll even out myself. Um, I was ready to like talk about who has a better chance of making a run in March like two weeks ago. I'm glad we never got to the conversation, at least on record, because uh, things have changed. Things have changed. We've got basketball players wearing like masks that make them look like the Penguin from Batman. Uh, I prefer Batman. a lot going on in this I, world. I don't think he looks like the Penguin. I, I think we're, he is the star. That's fine. Not yeah, based on his play in that game, though. I got to be honest. I kind of like the mask. I like him not going with like a full-on queer look. I like uh, – I like the new try. Well, we'll see how the play go, goes and keeps up with it in the next two games or so because uh, it was a rough one. It looked like it was really affecting his shooting. Uh, well, we'll get into all of that. Uh, just so you know, guys, today we are going to be just focusing on the basketball teams and then Michigan State, the uh, football coaching staff. We're going to get to that at the end. We are doing a special mini-episode rundown for the Big Ten Tournament for hockey. And that will come out later this week. So we are not ignoring hockey. We are actually giving it more attention than we usually do. But that will get its own episode. So other than that, let's just jump in. Um, We'll start with Michigan. So we know it's been three weeks. So I'll just do a quick rundown of what has happened since we last spoke to you. Michigan went. I assume the uh, the headline is Austin Davis fifth year. Oh yes, I forgot to stick it into the news section. (laughs) Austin Davis's fifth year has been confirmed, and I am so torn on how to feel because the scholarship situation for next year now gets a lot more interesting with how many recruits Juwan is taking in. Um, Specifically, uh, if Michigan lands Josh Christopher. On the other hand, Davis has been super fun this year, and I look forward to seeing what another year of tutelage under Juwan Howard can do for his offensive post game. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think as an MSU fan, we're uh, hoping that it means that you lose a recruit, but I don't think that's going to be the problem. I think it's just going to be that Juwan Howard's going to process so much, it's going to make Nick Saban blush. It is going to be... <laughs> It's going to be bad, and it's going to be uh, – there's going to be a certain blog that may need to uh, eat some crow after how they talked about how the processing done by Nick Saban was ruining all of college sports. I, I think it's going to be happening to that, that blog's team now. Uh, so I think it's it, a little it soon be... to say that. I, you know, I see your point, and I would never – I would be ruling it out. And, and, I would and say let me be honest, it's like just if it happens, that's okay. And, Juwan is a new coach. He should get to pick a lot of his roster. That is, I am not calling Juwan out for that. I just think it's, you know, it, it 
It's no, a, uh, it's a small allotment of uh, scholarships that basketball has, right? So they got to do something. No, no. I, I completely see where you're coming from, especially with uh, the stance that has been given by said blog about processing. <laughs> um, yeah. So if this becomes a regular thing, there will be some crow that needs to be eaten or That's they're true. just going to have this to hopefully is a one time thing. Um, but, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, Austin Davis fact that uh, in terms of the team, it's probably a good thing. Uh, Michigan's going to be a lot more versatile at the five next year. They'll have the John Teske type with Hunter Dickinson. And, um, obviously they'll still have Austin Davis, but they'll also have, you know, unless he gets processed, they'll have Colin Castleton and Isaiah Todd, who could both be stretch fives as well as um, Brandon Johns, if you want to go with a real small lineup in some situations. So I'm really looking forward. We'll get into that in the offseason once these classes finalize. But I really love the versatility of next year's roster, which is hilarious because right now the roster is so not versatile. And uh, you, you need it to click in basically one certain way to win. But – yeah, it's exciting news. Um, but into this season, because we are at the crux of this season, and it, we got to talk about some stuff. Because Michigan went on a five-game win streak in which Brendan Quinn was writing articles about how they're made for March, and the entire fan base was saying, okay, this is fun. We're doing it again. And then one bad week undid all of that momentum. Uh, that's what we're going to focus on for this show is the two losses to Wisconsin and Ohio State. Um, Michigan just got killed from three-point range. And you can question the merits of that because they're usually really good at running teams off the three-point line. And both teams, but specifically Ohio State, made some absolute garbage from three. Like, I think both Wesson brothers banked a three in on Sunday. But still, it happened. They suffered it. They uh, got hit for 10 threes in each game, and both of them were very similar. It was very close until about five or six minutes left when the opponent, being Wisconsin and Ohio State, ran away with it. So, yeah, now we hit the reset button on Michigan's season for the fifth time, and I feel like it could go either way going into the final month. Yeah, it feels like, uh, uh, and I know that's kind of what you're probably going to move into next is looking at Michigan. They, since we last recorded, have just had so many different games, right? You have uh, Xavier Simpson going off and making threes some nights, and then you have uh, Isaiah Lavers looks like he's pretty much okay and fully healthy, and now it looks like he's actually struggling again. And Eli Brooks being out for Wisconsin – really messed up the team, which I don't think uh, – which a lot of MSU fans are going to give Crow saying, like, he can't be that important or that big of a catalyst. But maybe he is. It just it, – it seems mean, he, like it's not so much that one player matters. I think what matters to Michigan is that it takes only one player to mess up their, yes. their system this, this year. Is a, they just don't have the depth. This is a team with a very high ceiling, but they are very, very fragile. And I think you can – you know, you look at their Ken Palm page and you can see it. They rattle off the year with seven straight wins and that have that week in the Bahamas. And then you look and there's the four, four straight losses in 
January, and then there's the five straight wins in February. I mean, this is such a team. I, Not to pat myself on the back, but when I talked about after that opening game against Appalachian State, when they were up almost 30 points and almost gave it away, and I said this is going to be a – this is going to be a parallel to what the entire season is like. I didn't actually expect that to be as true as it has been because there have been moments, there were moments in that first game where you're like, man, this team looks incredible. They play so fast and it's so entertaining. And then they had the stretch where Appalachian state goes on a 22 run. And I feel like you, you can see both of those things in this season. This is a very fragile team. And unless livers gets back to full health or Brooks clicks it back on, you know, they could have a rough march. Uh, But also, if those two things click back into place and they play really well like they have been on neutral courts all year and they start hitting threes again, then this is a team that could go to the Elite Eight. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to make a prediction either way or the other because that feels really dumb because it genuinely feels like a coin flip. It seems early, but I also think I agree. I, I don't believe – I've started to get just basically for the last month, any of these Big Ten teams, you know, especially the teams that aren't towards the top of the league, any, t- any team in like that middle part of the Big Ten is going to feel so refreshed when they get out of playing conference schedule. Uh, it just feels like they're going to get to March and they're going to be a six or seven seed and they're going to be making someone's life miserable in the second and third round uh, because – it's almost to the point where it feels like the NCAA tournament until you get to the Elite Eight, maybe, uh, will feel like it's easier than playing to the Big Ten grinder. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So just a couple more things um, to talk about before we get into the games this week. Um, it, it, we already talked about how the defense specifically on threes wasn't good against Wisconsin and Ohio State. The offense also looked disjointed, and you touched on it already. Isaiah Livers doesn't look super healthy, and it's not his groin. It really feels like it's his ankle um, that he he rolled it against Indiana and then weirdly came back into the game when they were up 20. Um, And it really hasn't – he missed the game against Rutgers but came back against Purdue. But since he came back, they're one and two, and – Isaiah hasn't really had any great performances like he did right after he got back from the groin injury. It really feels like it might be slowing him down. And I feel like the, the more detriment is on defense actually. Yeah, it does. It seems like he's not right. And I think the most focus uh, as a neutral is we're going to look at the offensive stats and see that he's not shooting the same, but uh, Michigan's defense certainly has been slipping um, and that certainly could make sense that he's losing his man on the perimeter or getting blown by. Uh, I know that happened, uh, you know, in some games that I've seen where Isaiah Livers, it's, it's all that they're finding a struggle to get him in a good matchup where he either gets put on a guy that's smaller and they just blow past him or when he has equal size because of that ankle, you can back him down. He's not as strong. So uh, that's certainly something to keep an eye on as we go into the, the end of the season and get into the tournament play here. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, that's really it. It's been, it was a rough week for Michigan. Um, Neither loss was particularly fun to take. I mean, Ohio state, they just kept battling and battling and battling and then they couldn't make a shot. And then down the stretch where Ohio state couldn't miss as hard as they tried. 
Um, and then with Wisconsin, it was just at Michigan, I will say really struggles to defend a stretch five. So you notice that with Caleb Wesson, um, you notice that with, Oh my God, I'm going to kick myself. Cause I can't think of the kid on Wisconsin. Who's having Micah Potter. Yes. Uh, you saw it with Micah Potter and uh, Nate Reavers. So that's something to watch out for in the NCAA tournament is playing a stretch five may not go well for Michigan. But, yeah, um, I do want to touch on a positive, though, before we move on to the Nebraska and Maryland games this week. Um, as the chairman of the Franz Fan Club, I feel so, so awesome about the way the last couple weeks have gone with him. He, he, I don't know how many games you've caught, but he looks like a different player. He does, yeah. I think he's been coming on for a few weeks. Uh, seems like he's finally getting comfortable. Uh, I know from listening to the movie Screen Pod, they talked about how he had a really bad flu right around December. Um, you know, kind of an interesting season. He gets himself back from the wrist injury. Uh, once he gets that squared away, then he gets sick and loses a bunch of weight. Uh, in a few weeks due to the flu. And that's something that in season is really hard to come back from because you're still practicing, you're still playing games. So it's not easy to put that weight back on uh, and get your strength back in the middle of a season because you're really just trying to get through the next game. So, um, but he's starting to look really comfortable and kind of having that typical, that cliche, uh, by March, it's basically you're a sophomore feel. Uh, which is probably overused, but I think that for, for someone like Franz who played pro, you know, basically against men in Germany, uh, he probably is really starting to hit that stride of getting comfortable. Yeah, and um, uh, the friends at MGO blog have talked about it quite extensively, but let's, let's go to his Ken Palm comparables page. Um <laughs> Chris Middleton, Otto Porter, and Jason Tatum are all on Franz Wagner's comparable page for this year. And I think those were all lottery picks. I mean, he is just – he's coming on in a real good way, and you can see it on the defensive end. You can see the confidence he's gaining. He is so fun to watch uh, offensively when he starts to, um, you know – when he, when he attacks the rim and uses his length in a way where it looks like you have him shut down, and then he has a layup that looks super easy because of his wingspan. Um, he, he's just been so fun to watch. And it's really cool because you talk about that uh, a freshman who plays a lot is basically a sophomore by March. I, I feel like Michigan and Michigan State both have examples of that, even if the term is overused. Cause, and we'll talk about this more as we get to your section, but – Rocket Watts is kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be interesting to see uh, as we go into next year, too. You know, this is kind of the time of year when we started to think that Aaron Henry was having that last year, right? And that was part of why Aaron Henry was thought to be the third guy for sure this year. Um, so it's interesting. But, yeah, it, a lot of what Franz is doing reminds me of, like, watching Aaron Henry in the tournament where you just see it quick after a season of really – frustration and maybe not being uh being the same impact as you thought i think it happened a little bit earlier for franz than it did for aaron because franz basically had a great month of february which was much earlier than than when aaron turned it on but 
yeah, he for sure uh, has been a revelation for them. And and to be honest, uh, maybe was covering up a lot of the uh, the issues we talked about uh, from the last two losses when they yeah. had the five game winning streak. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to talk about like how good he was against Ohio State, he earned the Ken Palm MVP honors for that game in a fourteen point loss, and he did it by putting up 18 points on uh, it looks like seven of 12 shooting four of eight from three 10 rebounds he had the double double I mean he's really turning it on right now and who knows maybe next year Michigan fans will be thankful that he was hurt in the first half of the year this year so uh, we get him back for a sophomore year I, I don't know I'm not saying for sure but he, he could be a game breaker next year and it's super exciting to see him coming on, especially cause he has that Wagner personality where it always comes out a bit more when he's playing like this. Um, yeah. I don't think he's going to struggle for confidence anytime soon. No, no. I mean, he's been shooting barely 30% from three and he still chucks him up every single game. Like he's unafraid. So you'll, you'll love to see it. Um, real quick before we get into MSU, uh, Nebraska and Maryland this week. I see one and one probably, but Maryland hasn't looked fantastic. Nebraska also happens to be the ultimate confidence builder in the Big Ten, so I'm not going to rule out two and zero. Um, it it'll be nice to see how the game goes tomorrow night against Nebraska to uh, see how it affects their confidence because Maryland is a tough place to play, especially on a Sunday afternoon, it's probably going to be rowdy in there. They're going to need a win if they want a share of the big 10. So it, it'll be interesting. Uh, I, but I'm going to guess one and one for Michigan this week, which would still yeah, bring I them think, to, uh, it would still bring them to 10 and 10 in a year where they were two and six at one point in the big 10, a 10 and 10 finish. I would have taken in a heartbeat and just because 11 and 9 or 12 and 8 were on the table a week ago doesn't mean we shouldn't still be excited about the year that we had in the second half that Michigan had. So I just want to send that to Michigan fans. It, it's been a frustrating last week, and it'll feel like a missed opportunity, and it probably is for seeding purposes, but still a really good finish to the season regardless of how this week goes. As long as you don't lose to Nebraska. Do not lose to Nebraska at home. Please. Yeah, that's the key, but I kind of want to see how the game with Nebraska goes tomorrow, but uh, I'm not a Mark Turgeon believer. I think Maryland is uh, finally coming back closer to where I thought they, they really should have been. Uh, they should be the loser of three games in a row. They, you know, Patino Jr., the, the king of this podcast, blowing a humongous lead at home. Uh, quickly, the too. They didn't lose three in a row. Oh, so quickly. Uh, but yeah, that's the only reason that they're not, uh, losers of three straight. So, uh, I would, uh, I would say Michigan's going to give them everything on that Sunday game, but I would like to see how they look tomorrow. Does Eli Brooks look more comfortable? Does Isaiah Labors look any more comfortable? Uh, before I know for sure that I would, you know, kind of put an upset special on that. Yeah. And you also get to be hopeful because, uh, you know, that a win against Maryland, uh, not only guarantees a share of the Big Ten title, but if you guys can beat Ohio State, you get that whole thing for yourself. And, uh, yeah, wait, what a choke job by Mark Turgeon, though, man. Like, 
if they if they lose to Michigan on Sunday and don't even get a share after after that Minnesota game when they came back, it was like, oh, that was the run to win them the Big Ten championship. That did it. And now <laughs> you're looking at this and you're like, man, uh, we have a sixty. Ken Palm gives Maryland a sixty three percent chance against Michigan. They have a sixty three percent chance of holding on for a share of a Big Ten title. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I kind of like, uh, I think it was Mark Titus who was talking about this Maryland team, and I, I can't disagree with it one bit. Uh, they either were going to win the Big Ten and Mark Sturgeon was going to leave Maryland for another job finally, or uh, they lose in the first round of like a five seed in a five twelve game and he gets fired. Uh, I think both are still on the table. So, uh, yeah, yeah that is just – I think, like I said, they, they came back to where I thought they were going to be all year, so I feel pretty vindicated. But, uh, man, man, I, they, that's the team you want to be trailing late in the season, though, Brendan. I can tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, time to get to MSU then? Let's do it. Okay. I'll give a quick rundown and then let you give the analysis because I've only got to see bits and pieces of a lot of these games. So, uh, since we last spoke, Michigan State lost four or five games, including a very bad choked lead against Maryland at home uh, in which they slapped the floor and then gave up like four straight threes to lose. And everybody was counting the team out on Twitter as is usual in late February. And also as usual, Michigan State has now won four games straight, including two on the road over Maryland and Penn State. Um, and is now in the driver's seat for probably for a shared Big Ten title, but definitely has a better chance, I would say, than Maryland uh, at getting an outright if I were to pick who has a better chance between those two. So, you know, a normal basketball season. Um, let, let's talk about those Maryland and Penn State games. So, obviously, the Maryland game, I didn't actually catch any of it. Um, just know that it sounded like Michigan State really controlled it from the jump. And then the Penn State one was different because Penn State led by 16 at half with 10 made three-pointers at the half and lost. Oh, that game was – you know, we just talked about how it's great to be behind Maryland. Uh, it kind of felt like it was the perfect game to go into a hole against a team like Penn State uh, because playing there on the road is not going to – not gonna be hard to come out of a uh, you know a trail game, but yeah, that was uh, quite a different thing. Like you said, Maryland game was a little bit different. Um, they really just came out and blitzed Maryland right away. Uh, even despite Cassius Winston having seven turnovers, the game was never in doubt because he had probably the best round of supporting cast around him. Uh, Tillman was great. Aaron Henry was excellent. Malik Hall got into double digits for only the second time since the seat in the Hall game. Uh, and he was hitting shots from the outside again. And Maryland made a little bit of a run in the second half to make you nervous, but it was never really out of – it was never really one that you actually thought they were going to lose the lead. It was just would they – you know, would it come down to free throws or kind of be a, a slog at the end. But – they, again, found that gear kind of like they did last year in the games where they would play Michigan where uh, 
just those last five minutes, they would just find another gear where they just pulled away. Uh, it happened again at Maryland, and uh, loved to see it because uh, it was really just a perfect way to pay them back. You lose a game at home uh, with college game day, and then you go beat them at home on the day that they host college game day, weirdly enough. So uh, it was a perfect way to uh, to get back into the Big Ten title hunt. Yeah, I mean, what a performance. That Probably reminiscent of the game at Chrysler last year, right? Just going on the road. and Well, they didn't control that one at Chrysler from the get-go, but once they grabbed it, yeah. they did not relent. They just didn't give it back at all. Um, it sounds like it was similar, especially with the Big Ten title implications. Uh, and then that Penn State game, man, I – Again, I was at work, so I was only periodically refreshing Twitter to tune in, basically. I watched a couple minutes on my phone, but not much. And, you know, one half of the night, it was all of my MSU friends melting down a little bit. Um, and then within five minutes of the second half, it was over. And I think MSU led by two. Yeah, so – the fun little trip down the win probability on uh, Torvik is pretty hilarious just looking at it. Uh, so at halftime, it put it at, I want to say, like a 6% chance of MSU winning. Um, they were down 15 points. They kind of – it was a weird half. It was, it was 14 to 11 uh, early on, and Xavier Tillman goes to uh, take a rest right before the 12-minute TV timeout. Uh, and I want to say he sat down with like 12 and a half minutes left. Uh, Izzo ended up having to call a timeout with 10.50 left because the game had become sort of Penn State up three, then expanded it to like up 11 because they hit – or up 11 or 12 because they hit three threes in a row um, with Gabe Brown getting, you know, loose defense and, and having two hit right in his face. So – and the rest of the half, uh, they closed it at one point, got it down to, I want to say, like a five-point Penn State lead. And again, Penn State hit some threes and expanded it to 15 points at the half. So it was up and down, back and forth, but it was one of those where you kind of just felt like either Penn State's going to make these threes all night long and you just are going to get ran out of the gym or we're going to have a run in the second half. It's just, do we have enough time to make the run back? And boy... Brendan, like you said, uh, at the, like you said, so 46-31 at halftime, you move five minutes into the second half, it is a 51-49 Penn State lead and a 50% chance of MSU winning the game. Yeah, I pulled how quick it moved. (laughs) I pulled the win probability chart on Ken Palm up for this game, and (laughs) – I didn't know that they did this, but the bigger runs of the game, they kind of outline in the chart. To open the second half, MSU's run lasted a full six minutes and was twenty a 24-3 to three run after being... Yes, and, and for, the, for the narrative people, that run, the 24-3, to three, at the end of that run was when Cassius Winston and Tom Izzo almost got in a fight uh, in the uh, timeout huddle. So, which as a former coach, you love to see when everything is going right, if the team is still wanting to yell at each other, that tells you they're pretty demanding of themselves because even when things are going right, they're finding ways to get on each other's nerves. So I love to see that. That was one that uh, 
you know, anyone who dislikes Izzo and his style, of course, uh, you know, was dusting off the Deadspin article from last year. But I kind of loved it because it's just like, even when everything's going right for this team, they're finding things to complain about. And I enjoy that. So uh, that, that made me feel good that they weren't just going to be happy getting, getting back into the game. They were going to hold on. And it really never got close from there. Uh, Penn State's defense was just horrendous the entire second half. Um, you go from giving up 31 in the first half to coming out and giving up, uh, going up to 79 points. So that's not good, Brendan. That's what they're saying. Not not great, uh, especially when you only score 25 after scoring 46. So, yeah, Pat, Pat Chambers is lucky that they did so well early in the season because that's not a great way to close out your home schedule at all. No, I. There are certain teams in the Big Ten that have the look and feel because, like, it, the Big Ten was a gauntlet. There was a lot of really talented teams and a lot of tough teams. I think. I think a lot of these teams are defined by their toughness, um, but that can only get you so far. And once you get figured out, you get figured out. There's a couple of teams in the Big Ten that I'm not going to be taking in the NCAA tournament just for that reason, and I think Penn State might be one of them. Uh, but then again, like you talked about, we're at the end of a grueling Big Ten schedule. I mean, maybe they'll feel refreshed when they get to play some Big East or ACC or SEC teams in the first weekend of the tournament. So who knows? Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I think the thing that scares me about Penn State is it was it was crazy in the first half because you could say, wow, this team should be really good because when they were up big on MSU – that was with Lamar Stevens not making a field goal in the entire first half. Uh, he was something like 0 for 9 and had two or three points off free throws. Uh, but then you also realize that the half that everyone else on his team had is not their consistent playing level, and that was the problem. Um, and so it kind of feels like if he has one of those games in the tournament, they could just get absolutely blown out. Yeah. That's true. Uh, it, but then he could also take over the game. And they're, they're another high-variance team. Like, I think you can write in Mich- Michigan to win a game or two. I think you can win right, – you can write in Michigan State to win two to three games. And then there are teams like Maryland or Penn State where I'm like, I have no clue. You could go out and just completely blow somebody out and then – go on this crazy run where you end up in the elite eight or you could fa- get caught in a five twelve game and just drop a turd and lose and your season's over. I-, I feel like Penn state, Maryland, and I would even count Illinois in that group too, where I feel like if AO gets hot for a little bit and Kofi Coburn is just wrecking people who haven't seen him all season, they could get hot and win three or four games. And then I also feel like they could just go and lose a 6-11 six, six, game week one or 7-10 on Thursday or Friday and drop out. So it's going to be really interesting to see. Um, let, let's talk about Sunday, though, because obviously it's huge for Michigan State. There's a banner on the line. If you win against Ohio State, you are guaranteed to get a share of it. And um, – you know, with that game being at home, it's very likely that you get a share of it. However, Ohio State is also pretty hot right now. 
shot the lights out against Michigan. Um, so there is still – it's still going to be a tight game. What are your big keys to this game? Uh, so for me, it's just been – I think for the narrative side of me, it's that everyone I think is always going to take the positive side of, oh, it's, it's senior day, uh, Cassius Winston senior day they should just come out and just absolutely roll from the beginning. It'll be a storybook ending, but we just saw senior days are weird. You know, it helped Penn state get out to a quick start. Uh, but you come with so much emotion early that you can lose steam or you just come with too much emotion early and you're just sloppy and your, your shots aren't falling. So I think, uh, the first five to 10 minutes, just surviving it. Don't get down. Cause if you get down the way that you did to Penn state, you won't come back like that against Ohio State. It's just not going to happen. They play such an ugly brand of basketball. Uh, they play such better defense than Penn State. There's no way that I think we could uh, come back on Ohio State that way. So I think it's just surviving early, even if you're down, you know, at the first couple media timeouts, you're just within two to four. And then you just wear them down and, and put them away. Um the Wesson versus Tillman battle could be really fun to watch. Um, those are some two big boys going at it. Uh, but I also feel like Xavier Tillman could get Wesson followed out in the first half if they left him in. So, um, you know, I, I think that if we can go after them and get, get into their bench, we are a much deeper team than they are, uh, especially at home. Yeah. Um, and as and an outsider, I, oh, yeah, you go ahead. Oh, and then personally, uh, I would just want to play tempo against them. They're a much slower team than Michigan State, uh, really in like the bottom third. As far as their offensive sets, at least, uh, they're a very slow and methodical team. So I would love to just get out in transition. I don't think we've done enough of that. Uh, it was successful against Penn State, but it also was something where, uh, you know, Penn State was almost giving up a little bit on rebounding to try and cope with, try and cope with the MSU transition. So I think Ohio state will not do that. I think they'll fight for offensive rebounds and you need to make them pay uh, and get out and transition on them if we can. Yeah. So I, I think those are all very valid points. Um, just a couple of things. Cause I have seen them twice uh, once in person, a couple of keys here. Um, if Caleb Wesson is hitting from three, it's going to be real tough. Uh, Tillman is a good defender against the stretch, but I, you know, sometimes Wesson is just a really, really, really good player this year. He can beat you off the dribble. So if you give him any room trying to defend against that and he's hitting his shots, he could keep them in this game single-handedly, I think, genuinely. But if there's a guy who can uh, contain him. I do think it's Xavier Tillman. I think that's a pretty good matchup for you guys. As long as Wesson isn't just killing it from three. Another key I think here is uh, if Kyle Young plays for Ohio State, because he was a pro he was a matchup problem the first time these two teams, Michigan and Mich Michigan and Ohio State played. He didn't play the second time out because of an injury. But if he plays he could be a matchup problem at the four just because, I mean, Malik Hall has come a bit uh, along, but still might not be the best defender. And Kyle Young is really quick, a really athletic four guard um, and could keep Ohio State in it. That being said, this feels like a game that is entertaining for about 
25 to 30 out of the 40 minutes of basketball. And I think MSU runs away with it and uh, gets their storybook ending for Cassius Winston at the Breslin Center. Yeah, the nice part for us is we do play after uh, after the Michigan game. I think we're even after the, the Wisconsin game. So uh, at least from a fan's perspective, I don't know how much the coaches will share with the players or uh, how that all is going to work with, you know, they, they kind of always treat those things differently. But for a fan's perspective, uh, they'll be able to go into the arena knowing whether uh, the possibility of a sole championship or a shared championship is on the line. So uh, that should make things a little extra fun uh, being the later game on Sunday. <laughs> you guys have to root for us. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't know. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I don't have a problem with a shared title versus a uh, a sole title, but obviously you always prefer uh, getting a sole title. So if it means – for me, I don't really like Mark Turgeon, so that would be funny to me to watch him continue to lose. Uh, and if it happens to be against you guys, it just happens to be against you guys. Yeah, and also it's okay because if you don't think that <laughs> the uh, repercussions of an upset win over Maryland would tan a little bit for this fan base, uh, it would. So this is a lose-lose for Michigan fans. And it's a win-win for State exactly. fans. So congratulations. <laughs> All right, Chair. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit of football before we wrap up tonight. Oh, buddy, let's talk some HR and uh, and onboarding of new employees. Yeah, dropping bags. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if it's quite the same way as what some MSU fans were hoping for uh, as far as, like, big names – you know, they saw the $6 million number, and uh, I think they all forgot that it's still February and coaches are kind of tied down to jobs. Even if you do offer them a pay increase, it's not an easy time to recruit. But I think overall, uh, I'm pretty happy with uh, what Mel Tucker was able to pull together. Um, I think number one, every I think outside of maybe the defensive coordinator hire, uh, the first word about every coach they hired basically was recruiter. Um, which is a, certainly a change. I think the issue with Mark D'Antonio was there was no awesome recruiters on staff, and then they weren't – you know, I don't really mind if we don't have some awesome recruiters if they're the best position coaches, but they weren't the greatest position coaches either. So uh, that's where you run into a problem. So uh, the the theme across the board was recruiter. Um, if uh, So I'll just kind of run through, like, who's been hired so far. Uh, I'll start with defense just because I think that's probably the quick one to run through because a lot of it's going to be the same. Uh, Mel, uh, Mel Tucker was able to keep on Ron Burton at the defensive line coach. Uh, he had either agreed or was expected to go to Indiana, and I'm assuming that he got a better offer from Mel Tucker to stick around. Uh, Indiana since then has lost a lot of coaches, so maybe that's a good thing that Ron uh, did stick around. Uh, um, so he'll be on defensive line again. Mike Tressel took a demotion. I don't know if they've even come out with exactly what he's coaching, but it's presumed he's going to be just the linebacker coach now. And Harlan Burnett, Barnett came home to uh, coach D-backs again. So those three have all been here from the D'Antonio years, all really good defensive coaches before. And the new hire is Scotty Hazleton from Kansas State as a defensive coordinator. Uh, probably my second favorite hire that Mel Tucker made is Scotty Hazleton. Uh, 
He made the Wyoming defense into a top 25 defense under Craig Bull, who he also had worked with at North Dakota State, uh, and then had a really quick turnaround at Kansas State as well in their first year uh, under a coach from North Dakota State also. So, um, you know, I think I really like uh, Scotty Hazleton. He's the only one uh, that they haven't mentioned is a great recruiter, but he also apparently has had interest from NFL teams as a defensive coordinator and is really well-respected. So uh, that's a pretty exciting hire, uh, especially when you think that now on staff, MSU has three former defensive coordinators on staff, or two former defensive coordinators and one on staff who is going to be the defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot, uh, but it, it sounds like every move has been positive for Michigan State. Uh, I've heard certain negative spins from certain joke tellers on Twitter, uh, but if I was a fan, I would be pretty happy with every move they've made, especially the move towards recruiting. It's going to be fun. I think this this might make recruiting season more fun for us, at least. Maybe not the rest of our Twitter companions who like to argue more than we do, but uh, I think it'll make it more fun yeah. having Michigan State really go after it in recruiting. I think we have some fun battles to come, especially in-state. So it'll be really interesting uh, on the offensive yeah. side of the ball. Well, what has he got there? Yeah, so so offense is going to be a little bit more unproven. Um, I think that's going to be where there's some question marks. But I think the one that, stand out, that stands out as the most positive is probably Chris Kapilovich. Uh, who is the offensive line coach with Mel Tucker at Colorado. He is now the offensive line coach at MSU, uh, already making a lot of fans just by the offensive line offers that are going out, um, which I know you got to close the deal. It's not just about the offers, but just the style of who they prefer to recruit is a little bit of a, a change from where offensive line was before. Um, and his stats at Colorado were great. They went from the 11th rated, uh, offensive line, I believe in like sack rate and rush rate to second in the Pac-12 in one season. So uh, that's about even getting recruits in. That's just with working with what he had. That's a pretty awesome change. Um, so I think he's going to be the, the hire that we're most excited about on the offense uh, is Chris Kapilovich. And he also had some offers from Auburn this offseason before Mel Tucker took the job with MSU. Uh, so he was definitely wanted. Uh, by SEC programs and uh, due to the fact that we got Mel, he followed Mel here. So that's probably the most exciting hire. Uh, running backs coach is an unproven guy. It's William Piegler, who was on Mel's staff as like an offensive analyst and quality coordinator. So don't know a ton. I, I think his main pull right now is he's been in 30s. He's a strong recruiter. Uh, and we'll just have to see, uh, as far as the position coach goes, how that kind of works with the running backs. Uh, Wide receivers coach is going to be Courtney Hawkins, who, again, kind of an unproven, at least at the college level as a coach. Uh, he comes from Flint Beecher High School. Uh, he's been coaching there as a head coach and, uh, I believe, athletic director for the last number of years. But on top of that is a former MSU wide receiver and NFL uh, receiver. So uh, has a tie to the program that people are pretty excited about. Uh, and he has a lot of talent to work with this year. So I think that's uh, going to be one that you can maybe see something like Jalen Naylor, if he takes a big step forward, uh, maybe that's from working with a guy like Courtney Hawkins. Um, tight ends coach is uh, Gilmore from Wisconsin. Somebody, again, that I'm excited about. 
He's only been on staff for about a week now, and they offered, I want to say, like five tight ends today. So clearly he uh, got his log into the computer and is able to get his cell phone working again because um, he got very busy. And anyone coming over from like the tight end offensive line focus at Wisconsin, now he was the wide receivers coach at Wisconsin, but those were probably the best blocking wide receivers in the Big Ten. So uh, if we put him at tight end, I'm happy with that. And then uh, the final one is just the quarterback's coach slash offensive coordinator is Jay Johnson. Kind of hit or miss. Uh, the stats at Colorado weren't crazy, but again, uh, they were in year one, so I don't really judge that too harshly. He had a pretty good season with Minnesota, uh, and then he's been on staff with Georgia as like an offensive analyst. So uh, I don't know a ton about Jay Johnson. I, I want to say – I think I'm a little more positive, but again, he might not be one that's a long-term fix, uh, but I want to see how it goes in the first couple of years. And it won't take much to make MSU fans happy. We've watched three years of just about the worst offense in football. So uh, anything's an improvement. Yeah. Uh, I would have to say my favorite hire that you guys did was Courtney Hawkins. Obviously that's because we got somebody from uh, the 810 area code. Uh, making yeah. it to a Division One job, so that's super cool to see. Um, you know, I'm literally 15 minutes away from Beecher High School, so that's pretty awesome. All, all in all, I mean, that's some good hires. I hope it goes about as poorly as possible, but um, that's with love. Well, Only because if you guys get good again, that means the shit slinging is good because – Fo- the rivalry in football is without a doubt where the worst shit slinging happens. And I'm just don't want to deal with it. So if one of these programs could uh, just quietly go off into the night and just be bad, that would be nice. But the good news for y'all. It's even worse. <laughs> the good news it's for y'all. stupider though. Oh yeah, you're right. I don't know. Who cares? It's, <laughs> it's all meaningless. This is a hockey show. We don't care. That's right. Damn it. The other thing that I think is nice now is uh, just to kind of wrap up the football and, and everything, too. It's just it's, – there's the, the final way to wrap up the hiring is they are going to be more along the lines of Michigan, too. It sounds like with having a lot more, like, player personnel and, like, analyst coaches. Uh, so, I like that, that take, too. But – it's just fun now. I don't think, to be honest, we could go five and seven next year or six and six, which is what I thought was going to happen with D'Antonio anyways. And it's going to feel so much different doing oh, it. Oh, it's going to feel so much better for you. It's going to – it changes everything, which is just so nice because there was just no – it wasn't just that people weren't excited to go six and six next year. It was that you were going to go six and six. The offense wasn't going to be exciting. Uh, you were watching a coach who – many people would build a statue of or call the greatest coach in the program history just burning down his entire legacy. That's not fun. If a new coach comes in and he struggles, but hey, we're back in the top 30 and recruiting. He's winning some in-state battles over Michigan or beating out Cincy and Kentucky for guys in Ohio again. Like Just little things like that. We can go five and seven or six and six and it feels like a completely different story been going through it under D'Antonio so for that alone I look forward to year two of our football show just to not have the inevitable you know sadness over D'Antonio apathy yeah Yeah. Yeah, apathy perfect word for it absolutely yeah 
I, uh, it, it will definitely be better for content. That is for sure. Because, <laughs> um, or else we have to start getting into existential questions, and that's always not fun, you know. We already have enough of that to do when Michigan's about to play Ohio State. So the less, the less of that we have to do, the better in my book. Um, that's all we have for this show, folks. Uh, stay on the watch out. We are going to be dropping our hockey show Friday morning, I believe. So be on the lookout for that. We're going to give a comprehensive breakdown of the Michigan-Michigan State Series that's coming up this weekend, as well as some quick uh, predictions for the rest of the first round. Um, it was a fun show. It's good to be back, Jeremy. Good to be back. We'll uh, hopefully get ourselves in a little bit of a schedule here as we get towards the tournament. Yes, uh, we definitely will have to get ourselves on a bit of a schedule considering uh, it's going to get a little bit more chaotic with the amount of uh, unplanned, not unplanned, but uh, we just don't know when they're going to be playing in the coming weeks. So, yeah, we'll, we'll try and get on a bit of schedule, but no matter what, we will be releasing content, a lot of it reactionary-based uh, throughout the both tournaments. And I personally can't wait to continue making fun of Richard Patino throughout the month of March, but not too far in because we're not going to cover the NIT. 